welcome to MindShift, where we explore how mindsets can help you live a life of passion and purpose. On this show, we'll explore how our thoughts, attitudes, and beliefs shape our outlook on life and influence our decisions. We'll talk to experts from various fields and hear from individuals who have transformed their lives by adopting new mindsets. Whether you're feeling stuck, searching for life's purpose, or simply curious about the power of the mind and how it's changing the future, this podcast is for you. So sit back, relax, and let's dive in. Hello and welcome to MindShift with Cody and Richard. If you haven't done so already, please hit that subscribe button and follow along for some tools and tips on how to become your best self. Today, I have a very exciting, uh, high-level guest with me that I'm really, really excited to learn from, Alex Charfin. He's a CEO of a seven-figure business. He has one of the number one podcasts And he did it all by really embracing who he is, working on himself, working on the shadow parts of himself and helping others do the same, helping entrepreneurs do the same and really understand all these parts of ourselves that often are are holding us back. Things like childhood trauma, things like obstacles coming in our way into our subconscious that we really don't know about and looking at those, embracing those, overcoming those and leveling up. And that's really what what this podcast is all about. And it's just so much fun to be able to have these amazing conversations with people that are showing other people how to do the same. So Alex, welcome to the show. Cody, thanks so much for having me. Uh, Thanks, Richard. I appreciate you guys both uh, having me on. Absolutely. We really appreciate you being here. So uh, let's uh, let's start kind of at the beginning with you. Um, I know that you're you're a very high level achiever. You work with some of the best in the industry. Um, what what is it that you found was the number one thing that you had to overcome on your journey to be able to level up to where you're at today? Hmm, that's an interesting question, Cody. You know. Um... If you had asked me in my 20s, if I had experienced any level of trauma, I'm 50 now for perspective. So if you'd asked me in my 20s, if I had a traumatic childhood or if I had dealt with trauma or any of that, I probably wouldn't even have paid attention to the question and moved on to the next thing. It just wasn't wasn't even something that registered. But in my uh, when I was 26, I had gotten out of a somewhat long term relationship. I was having a lot of challenges, like physiological challenges, sleeping. Um, I was radically unhealthy. I wasn't feeling well. I had all types of things that were coming up in my life that I I couldn't find a way to deal with. And um, my mom, who was studying to become a therapist at the time, she went to school, way, she, she graduated and was a teacher and then went back to school to become a therapist. See, she suggested that I do EMDR therapy. And I remember going in to see a therapist and sharing a little bit of my background with him and um, sharing like what I was dealing with. And he said, well, you know, we're dealing with with pretty severe trauma here. And, and you know, it's something that if we address and you start processing it, you'll start seeing some of these things shift. And I remember when he said, like, we're dealing with pretty severe trauma here, I I wanted to say back to him, like, no, no, we're not like, what do you mean? Like, other people have trauma. I've never had like severe trauma. And then as we started to unpack it, I realized how much of what had happened in my past was affecting my present. And I think when you look at most really high level entrepreneurs, in fact, 
in my experience, all the high-level entrepreneurs I've ever worked with have experienced some level of severe traumatic experiences. And that's why we can hold the space that we can. That's why we're in the entrepreneurial space. That's why we, you know, I, I often joke with my clients that as, as an, an entrepreneur, entrepreneur you, you deal, deal with, with more, more stress, stress before, before noon than the average person deals with in a month. And the reason we can deal with those things is our baseline for feeling stressed is so much higher than the average population. And so for me, what I've found is that by understanding where some of my present reactivity and um, challenges came from, that by processing those things, it's made the present better. It's made me less reactive, made me more present, more aware, more clear, more understanding of what's going on in my body. And those things have made me a better father, a better husband, a better leader for my team, and a better coach to the people that I work with. That's incredible. <laughs> like the way we can take trauma and use it to fuel us or to let it destroy us is just so impactful. Even with your trauma, before you started unpacking it to be even better, why do you think the trauma affected you to be higher functioning instead of like so many other people? Man, you know, Richard, I think that's like one of the great questions about traumatic experiences for so many people. You know, I, I, one of the, one of the things that happened to me when I was younger was I knew I was different than the rest of the kids around me. I knew I was different from pretty much everyone around me. I knew there was something that separated me. I, I wasn't the same as them. I didn't learn the same as them. I had trouble in school, both with the kids and with teachers. Most of the time, there were some teachers that were extraordinary that saved my life, but, um, I started reading personal development books when I was really young and like 10, 11 years old. Like if I wasn't weird before that, I remember being in third grade and getting an assignment and telling the teacher like, well, Wayne Dyer would want us to know the attention. How does this connect us to source? Like it was, I got super weird. And when I look back at, you know, what, what happened, I, I got out of personal development. I started reading about successful people and I started studying what made successful people successful and what you what I expected to see was something other than who I was and the more I read about successful people the more I understood they are exact like they are different they are unique they are not like the rest of us you know Helen Keller couldn't see or speak or hear and change the world for disabled people and you know, Thomas Edison was sent home at five years old because he was too dumb to be in class and he turned into Thomas Edison with basically no formal education. You know, Bill Gates dropped out of college and started Microsoft. Steve Jobs, I mean, you can summarize the story by saying like he dropped acid, saw a vision and then ended up being Steve Jobs, you know? And I think that for me, I was fortunate that the trauma didn't push me to a breaking point, but there were several times in my life where I definitely hit rock bottom, you know, and, and where I was in a place where things were not in a good place, where I had addictions and behaviors and, and I was in negative spirals that, that were not going in the right direction. And I think I was fortunate to have the right people around me and the right information. Like I had the right information come to me where I was able to, to take traumatic experiences and use it to fuel driving forward. I think, you know, I think that's one of the great questions about trauma. Like, why is it that somebody like Oprah Winfrey 
can have the childhood that she did, the abuse that she went through, the incredibly traumatic experiences, essentially being left for dead and become Oprah Winfrey, and somebody else goes through those experiences and ends up in jail. You know, I always, I often tell people, you know, I wrote this book called The Entrepreneurial Personality Type, and it's a breakdown on who we are and who entrepreneurs are and and why we're different than the rest of the world. And my my hypothesis, my belief, my undying belief is that we are evolutionary hunters. We are the same people that 10,000 years ago would be picking up sticks and rocks and going out and hunting something one day. And I think there's more entrepreneurial personality types in prison and an early grave than running businesses. Because when the trauma gets to a point where there isn't access to help, where there isn't access to understanding, where there isn't a modality that takes us out of that, oftentimes it only goes in one direction. I think that's so powerful and and so incredibly true and I relate so much to what you're saying uh, from you know not feeling like I fit in to you know question authority to going on my own path even going to prison for six months as a result of some of the choices that I'd made and uh, and really wondering what was wrong with me like why why am I different why can I not embrace you know going to college and just do what you know some of my peers did and and it really wasn't until I embraced every single part of myself looked at it, took radical self-accountability for it, and then started using that to uh, empower me to be able to face the obstacle to really just charge into this and say, what is this? Where is this coming from? And how do I, how do I use this as empowerment for others? And, and I think that's just absolutely incredible. How do you use some of your traumatic experiences with the people that you work with, with maybe some of the obstacles that, that come up with them to help them overcome and really embrace these parts of themselves to rise up and, and become who they know they can be inside? Um, <clears throat> I think the healing that I've done with trauma, the understanding around trauma that I have pervades everything that I do. It's, it's part of uh, how I lead my team. It's part of how I coach my clients. It's part of how I'm, I'm a father to my daughters. It's funny that you use the phrase, what is wrong with me? In this book, The Entrepreneurial Personality Type, I have this hypothesis that we live kind of answering questions, like for entrepreneurs, answering questions is the way that we move forward. And the first question I think all of us are faced with is how do I stop pressure and noise? As an entrepreneurial personality type or evolutionary hunter, the noise, the pressure in our lives is so high that that question comes up. And then once we start to understand like, oh, if I don't do these things, then noise isn't as high. If I, if I change the environment around me, then noise isn't as high. If I avoid these people, these places, these things, then noise goes down and the pressure goes down. The second question that then erupts is what is wrong with me? And um, my book closes with the statement, there is nothing wrong with you and you're not alone because, and I absolutely believe that for everyone that when we understand why we're reacting the way we're reacting and when we have an idea of why things are coming to us it changes how we look at the world and the way i use it today is you know i have a, a coaching program where we show entrepreneurs how to build teams how to plan with their teams how to extract themselves from the day-to-day -day of their business and a huge part of that for me is showing them also how to process trauma so in my coaching program, we talk openly about EMDR therapy. We talk openly about somatic therapy. Um, I answer questions all the time about psychedelic therapy for people who have never considered it, but are now understanding that in the present, they have these behaviors, these somewhat dysmorphic behaviors. And you know, when I, when I think of like body dysmorphia, which is something that I've dealt with for most of my life until the last few years, it's gotten radically better um, and, and kind of gone away.
But when you look at most entrepreneurs, there's some level of like reality doesn't match the thinking that we have. You know, I have a friend who's worth over a hundred million dollars. His greatest fear in the world is losing it all. There's no, like, I don't know what would have to happen for him to lose it all. I remember seeing Marcus Lamonis speak at an event where he actually asked everybody to turn off all his cameras and, or turn off all the cameras, turn everything off. It was just for the people in the room. And I know I can share this part because he shared it publicly. I wouldn't share anything to, to break a confidence, but Marcus Lamonis, hundreds of businesses, has so many different contacts, so many different people. He's literally surrounded by people all the time. He arrived at that event with like half a dozen people with him. His biggest fear, dying alone. And I think that for us as entrepreneurs, oftentimes there's a reality that we do not recognize. And we have this level of dysmorphic um, processing around it. And when we can start to process the trauma that takes away some of that that distortion of reality, we really can start doing what we need to do and move forward in a, in a much more profound way. And it's interesting, Cody, I can't tell you how often in our program, we have somebody who comes to us and they're running a multi-million dollar business. You know, they, they are financially successful, but they feel plateaued and stuck and frustrated and like nothing matters anymore. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand that very successful entrepreneurs often feel this way. And when we get them into EMDR therapy, when we start talking about trauma, when we start um, unpacking the things that have happened to them and why they might be affecting them today, suddenly you see businesses explode. And I've seen that pattern now so many times that it's undeniable that oftentimes that, that, that distorted perception is what causes us to feel like we have to do everything ourselves, feel like we have to work way too many hours, uh, feel like we have to catch all the mistakes, um, feel like if we're not changing things and putting something new in the world and, and like telling our team to change directions 12 times a week, that we're not doing it right. And when we can calm that metal, mental chatter and actually see things for what they are, we start making far better decisions and that creates massive levels of success. Wow. <laughs> Everything you just said is so it's so true. And when it comes to, it's always been fascinating to me how, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side, if you're looking at somebody else's life. And then on top of that, you also have the idea that money doesn't make happiness. And it doesn't matter what level of economic ability you're at, we're all going through the same thing. And I think that's one of the reasons I jumped on this podcast and I'm going on this adventure with Cody is because everything that we're talking about and everything we're discussing helps everyone. If you're at the bottom of the barrel and you start doing this, you're going to level up. If you're at the top of the barrel, but have hit a plateau, you're going to level up if you put these into per, into practice and you actually do the work. And it's fascinating to me how even though we're all different colors, races, you know, genders, whatever, you do this kind of work and you're going to see success. You're going to see improvement. That That just really hones in on how much we are the same in a sense, that we all have this ability to get better. And there is kind of a quantifying that we're all humans. <laughs> but that being said, what um, therapies have you found to be the most effective? And if it's like with the psychedelic, like what therapies or what have you suggested with psychedelic therapies to go and try if if that's not the most effective which one has have you found to be the most effective so um 
so there's really, I think there's two ways to answer that. I think there's very effective non-psychedelic therapies and, and psychedelic therapies are a massive boost when done correctly. I think that there's way too much um, dogma around psychedelics being the key to open everything. And so you go, you know, do this thing and then everything shifts in your life. And I think that 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 can be a damaging perception because for me, when it comes to psychedelics, integration is really 80% of the work. 20% is going through the experience. The And maybe it's 10% is going through the experience and really 80, 90% is the integration afterwards. And I don't think there's a, enough discussion about that. I was recently at a social event where um, a woman had tried ayahuasca for the first time and she had never been in trauma therapy. She didn't understand trauma. She didn't, she was like on a vacation and somebody had suggested they go do ayahuasca. And she had this spiritual event that made her feel like she was a channel and she cleared all of the issues that were wrong with her and was in this like very um, almost manic state. And, you know, I, I see those and I'm like, man, you know, I, it's so predictable. There's going to come this fall and the, everything's going to wear off and there was no integration and there was this belief that everything was perfect. And when you rebound from that, it can be incredibly challenging. And so for me, I think one of the reasons why when I, in the past five years or six years, when I started using psychedelic therapies, why they were so effective is because of how much work I had done before and how I was already used to the processing of trauma through EMDR therapy, through somatic therapy, um, through working with somebody who understands those modalities and was able to help me process you know, before and afterwards. And so my psychedelic journey, you know, I, I, uh, I started a few years ago before we hit record, I was telling you that Mike Dillard, a very good friend of mine here in Austin, who's pretty well known in the online marketing space, uh, called me over to his house and wanted to tell me about how he had done MDMA therapy. And I remember when he started telling me about it, thinking like, oh man, there's no way I want to do drugs. And then I was recognizing how much Mike had shifted and how different he felt and how, how grounded he felt. And I've known him for a long time, but he felt so different in that moment that I'm like, okay, this is something that I want to try. And so I've done um, MDMA therapy uh, two or three times with, with somebody who was there facilitating. I've done ketamine therapy in a clinical setting five times. Um, I did uh, psilocybin two or three times. And then most recently went down to Rhythmia in Costa Rica and did ayahuasca four times in a week. And when I look at how, you know, the efficacy, I think part of the reason that I think ayahuasca was probably the most effective trauma therapy I've ever done is because there was, there was other things that led up to it. So I was prepared for it. But also when I look at just the miracle that is ayahuasca and the background behind it, I kind of get emotional. It's just so extraordinary that Here's this healing modality that we know has been around for at least 4,000 years in the Amazon, 4,000 years. If we look at modern society, we've started talking about the processing of trauma in any like effective way, probably in the last 20 to 40 years. And really the last 10 in a way that makes sense for human beings, 10 or 15. And here's this, this modality that is 4,000 years old it requires parts from two different plants, not, not like the whole plant, like two very specific parts from two different plants to stabilize DMT and, and create a 5-MAO inhibitor to make it so that we can ingest DMT and actually experience the psychedelic effects. And 
through a very specific cooking process, like preparation process, that there's no way was done by trial and error. Like it's, it's a miracle that it even exists. And when you look at the contrast between modern society not understanding trauma, and then here's what we would call these primitive societies that have a incredibly effective, almost near 100% effective healing modality that's been around for 4,000 years. And when they ask the shamans, how did they originally figure this out? They say the spirit told us. And so the fact that it even exists is a miracle. And when I was down at Rhythmia, we were there with about 70 people and I watched miracle after miracle after miracle that week. I watched people heal. I watched people shift. I watched a woman who wore like literally like Coke bottle glasses because her vision was so terrible that by the end of the week was seen aboard without glasses. Like you're not supposed to tell people stuff like that because it sounds so unbelievable but I watched it for an entire week and I've kept up with some of those people and the shifts and the changes they experience have been extraordinary. So I think, you know, when, when you ask what is the most effective therapy for me, definitely that week in Rhythmia for ayahuasca was absolutely life-changing. But I think everything leading up to that had, had a life-changing effect for me. The first MDMA session that I ever did with a, uh, professional here in Austin who was there as a facilitator for me, I was able to process so much of what happened in my childhood and almost instantly get into these memories of what had happened and answer questions and solve riddles and understand more about myself, but in a way where it did not feel traumatic going through those memories. I remember, you know, I think the the best description of MDMA comes from Mike Dillard. I want to make sure I, I share that he quoted this, but he said, it's like processing parts of your history and parts of your life, but with the empathy of God. And I remember when he said that to me, I'm like, God, I wonder what that feels like. And I remember coming out of that MDMA session and going, oh, well, that's what the empathy of God feels like. That was a great description because I remember, you know, sometime into once things were taking effect, I started just immediately seeing these memories from my childhood and, and like really grossly traumatic experiences at, with now what I understand about trauma and opening up my my eye mask and asking the facilitator, I said, I remember saying, hey, I'm seeing these things from my childhood that are just super traumatic, but I feel like I'm okay, but is everything okay? And she's like, it's working. Just put the mask back on and let it happen. And it was uh, it was extraordinary. So I think all of them have had a level of effect on me and, and a positive effect on me. Maybe least effective was probably ketamine, but I think that was more the set and setting in which I did it. But even that helped with lowering reactivity and understanding things and changing perception. That's, that's absolutely incredible. And I really absolutely love that you went into integration because I do believe integration is the biggest part of, of any of this stuff that we're doing. You know, my mentor uh, would tell me, is it, and this is with reading, but is it self-help or is it shelf help? And it's the same thing. It's integrating what you're reading, what you're learning, working on it, you know, and I know I've fallen into this trap where I want to read as many books as possible. I love reading. I'm usually reading like five books at a time. It's just how my brain works. But when I go too far on that and I don't actually apply the steps, then it's just knowledge and I'm not actually feeling it. I'm not actually utilizing it. I can share the tips all I want, but until I'm actually embodying them, it's, it's literally useless. And I know for me, uh, last year, I did a psilocybin journey with uh, some coaches and the integration was the biggest part of it. 
And I've done psilocybin and different psychedelics throughout the years, but never with the intention that I did on this one. And when I went in with the intention of removing this blockage that I felt deep in my like root sacral chakra, I, uh, I understood a whole different thing. And then going through some of my childhood trauma, it, it wasn't traumatic. Just like you said, it wasn't like this, this hurtful thing anymore. It was like kind of shifting the perspective, understanding the programming that was running the show and reintegrating parts of myself. For me, I buried my masculinity because I had been shown toxic masculinity my a lot of my childhood and, and understanding that a, my parents were just doing the best they could with the tools they had. And B, it was my job now to uh, figure out this part of myself that I can't blame on anybody else anymore. And, uh, and really the work was not the journey. The journey itself was a, a glimpse of what was going on. The work all happened after, and it's still happening. You know, when I, I recently had to, um, in a relationship with a business partner simply because our values weren't aligned. And that was the hardest thing for me. And it was that stepping into that, that masculine energy and just really saying, even with compassion and empathy, like, Hey, this isn't working out. Our values aren't aligned was hard for me. <laughs> I, I'd much rather avoid things than actually facing straight on. And so it's really that integration part of it and changing the mindset around whatever it is we're doing in order to move forward. So with that said, what has been some of the most powerful mindset shifts that you've had as an experience and some of the people that you coach and work with, what's the, the mindset shift as they're surrounding themselves with these people that are healing and surrounding themselves with these people that kind of have another tool for them to be able to help with this? And how has that empowered you and the people around you to really embrace this and level up in all parts of their life? Um, I think, you know, I can answer that question in a bunch of different ways, but to keep it like in general terms, when I talk about the people that I work with, I think entrepreneurs experience a level of reactivity and a level of um, uh, pressure and noise that is higher than most people. And oftentimes that pressure and noise is coming from absolutely no evidence in the present. And like I shared the story of somebody who's worth $100 million, but thinks they're going to lose it all that actually guides and motivates so much of what that person's decision making is, that oftentimes it becomes a barrier rather than a driver of success and a driver of further success. And I think for me, when I look at what does trauma integration do, what does trauma processing do? It removes that pressure that is not present so that we can actually see what's going on. And that allows us to make far better decisions. I'll share kind of a, an interesting one with you. So when I, uh, when I look back at my childhood, you know, there was, there's various areas where as a very sensitive person, you know, I, 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 in the entrepreneurial personality type, I divide, I define people like us as physiologically sensitive momentum based beings that are highly reactive to constraint. And when you think of that physiological sensitivity, you know, you read a book like body keeps the score, like we, we store all that stuff in our bodies, we store all that stuff in, in who we are, it comes out in disease, it comes out in rashes, it comes out in insomnia, in all like eye twitching, uh, muscle pain, inflammation, like so many different things present as what we have not processed. And so for me, um, one of the things that I've always dealt with my whole life is this level of body dysmorphia. Um, I had a father who uh, had a very traumatic childhood himself. And so his methods of communicating when I was younger were silence, 
um, punitive teasing, which, which he thought was like communicating affection and, and then rage. And so as a kid, I gained weight several times. I, I had the kind of like where I wouldn't grow and then I would get heavy and then I would grow and I would get super skinny and then I wouldn't grow. And so my dad would joke around that I was a sumo wrestler or he would point at really overweight people and then kind of infer that I was the same as them. And so I had this whole childhood of being made fun of for my weight. And so as an adult, um, there was times where I certainly was not in great shape. Um, and when I was 30, I almost died from being in such bad shape. And so I decided I was going to change that. And there was a point where I weighed 245 pounds, had a 19 inch neck, 54 inch chest, everything I wore had to be custom made, including t-shirts. Like I didn't fit in anything off the rack. I was, you know, like a, a action figure type body style. And I would go into a gym and, and when I looked in the mirror, I heard you suck, you're, you're worthless. I saw all the flaws. I saw the asymmetries. I couldn't even come close to seeing what other people would see. I remember I was on a phone with a coach of mine once or on a call with a, a zoom call with a coach of mine once. And she, she said like, well, you've experienced all this trauma when you were younger and that's why you've turned yourself into the ideal male physique. And when she said that, I denied it instantly. I'm like, what are you talking about? The ideal male physique? You've got to be joking. And she's like, you're, you're kidding. Right. And I couldn't see that. I couldn't even come close to seeing that the mental chatter in my head was constantly about all the things that were wrong. And just in the past few years, I'm 50. So this has been around my whole life. And in the past few years through processing and through offloading and through really ayahuasca had a huge amount to do with this. I became aware that that was no longer there. And when it was gone is when I fully recognized just how challenging it was. And I remember the first time I looked in a mirror and I was completely disoriented. I felt like something was missing. I felt like something was wrong. I felt like something had like, something was just weird. And, and I had this recognition, like, holy shit, the voice isn't telling me I suck. And I, I'm, I'm actually seeing like, Hey, I'm in, pretty damn good shape for somebody who's 50. And, you know, I, I have all the metrics to show it, you know, I'm in the top 1% of, of body metrics on, on my scale, I'm in the top 1% of strength on the people who use tonal, I'm like, in the aura ring, I've got like metrics to show like I'm in really extraordinary shape, but I could never recognize any of that before. Until just recently when the pain went away. And I think, for every entrepreneur out there, we have a hard time recognizing it, but we all hear those voices in some way, we all have that distorted perception of reality that's driving our behavior in the present. And for me, being able to let go of that, it's, it's, I was sharing with a friend recently, like, I don't know how many calories a day I was burning in the mental chatter of that dialogue in my head. But now that it's gone, I feel like I have this capacity to do so much more. And I'm already an incredibly productive person. And what most people would consider very successful financially, but being able to get rid of that and then not have it present has changed so much in my life. I can't even imagine. Um, my, my father sounds almost exactly like yours. It was teasing, <laughs> rage and silence. I think and, great, uh, Richard, I think that's like, no. I think there's a whole generation of fathers that that's how they know how to communicate. I, Cause I don't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. I shared that. I can't tell you how many people around my age. How old are you? I'm 36, but my parents are older. My parents are in their uh, almost 70. Yeah. So my, my parents had me in their 30s. 
I think there's a whole generation of, of men who that's how they learned how to communicate. And that's really the only way they knew how to communicate. And yeah. if you think about the influences from when they were younger, like the Archie Bunker type stuff. And like, I, I don't know if that even registers for you, but I, I know who Archie Bunker is. My yeah. grandfather was a camera guy in Hollywood. I grew up in LA. I, I, I know media from the silent era on up. So <laughs> I, 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 I'm great at the senior living home. People are like, oh, you know, Cary Grant. I'm like, yeah, Cary Grant. what movie? you know like so yeah no i know who archie bunker is but yeah no my my dad it's it's funny because my littlest brother he kind of had the same uh kind of the same experience as you i see a lot of him and you and the reason why is because he was when he came out he was a 10 pound baby he was the biggest baby he's the youngest of us 10 pound baby had no neck he was just a head and a body and i think his nickname for until he was nine ten years old was fat matt hmm. and he is the one in the best shape out of all of this <laughs> like he's just always at the gym he's also an entrepreneur he's going to school in accounting and economics like he's just he is so driven and i can imagine that voice in his head is just telling him he's still fat because yeah. that's the voice that wasn't just my dad's voice it was my voice it was my brother's voice because that was his nickname was fat matt he was the fattest out of all of us and now we're all fat well my dad's skinny he got diabetes and a heart attack and he's lost all of his weight but we're definitely not in the kind of shape matt is and matt was the one teased for being fat so it was just like that's it's just interesting what happens with that being said and with what you've shared what if if someone came to you today, it doesn't matter what their problem is, what would be the, the the top thing you would tell someone to get rid of those voices, to just to silence those if they can? Um, what would be the top? You know, what I recommend most often is that somebody sees an EMDR therapist to start. Um, EMDR is a therapy modality, unlike CBD, CBT, you know, cognitive behavior, behavioral therapy is talking through things with somebody. And I think for, and when I, I want to qualify this answer, I'm talking about for entrepreneurs and for people who own businesses and for people with our personality type, I, that's who I work with exclusively. And that's where my research has been exclusively. And so when I look at the rest of the world, I don't really know, because I know that CBT works for some people, but in my experience, when an entrepreneur goes into a room and talks about things that are bothering them and the person across the room says, how does that make you feel? It makes them feel like they want to punch that person in the face. And, you know, it makes them agitated and frustrated. And oftentimes CBT moves things backwards in my observation and experience than, than moves things forward. EMDR is a totally different type of therapy where you don't have to talk through everything. It's a therapy that works on both the conscious and subconscious mind. They use the modality of eye movement back and forth using either lights or um, a hand moving back and forth or kind of like that old, uh, the watch moving back and forth to hypnotize somebody in the old time movies, which Richard, you probably have seen. Um, and uh, I feel like it works in a way where we don't have to understand what we're working on, but it still clogs, it still unclogs and, 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 uh, and processes. And so I think EMDR is an incredible place to start. I have a podcast called Momentum for the Entrepreneurial Personality Type. And on that podcast, I have a episode called The CEO's Secret Weapon. And it's all about EMDR because the number of times that I've worked with somebody who feels like they're plateaued or stuck, they're frustrated, they're in a place where they're successful, but they don't recognize it. I've, I've suggested they go to EMDR. And this is over the course of now over 20 years. 
And there has been hundreds of times where that is the catalyst to further growth and to the business exploding and to having massive exits and to really understanding and recognizing the success that they're creating. So I think, you know, for a lot of people, they want to jump in headfirst on psychedelics, which I, I think done correctly is not necessarily a bad idea, but having some some modality through which you're going to process and integrate is really like crucial. And I think EMDR is great for the lead up and for the work afterwards, as long as you find a therapist, it's open to the fact that you're going to be using psychedelics, which more and more are these days. I think that's, that's absolutely incredible advice. And uh, I've seen the power of, of EMDR and uh, even like tapping and, and different things that are, are so powerful. Even before I went into my journey and found, found some parts of myself, I was going to massage school. They were teaching us how to tap, do different energy work. And as a result, all that groundwork really does lay the foundation to just move ahead. Uh, man, there is so much here, Alex. I know you have to go here soon. I, I definitely want to schedule another interview with you and, and have you back on the show because I want to I want to explore your mind and really understand um, the, some of the stuff that you do, some of the stuff that you teach and and really um, just learn as much from you because you're awesome. Um, before I ask you my last question, though, if people want to work with you, if they want to listen to your podcast, well, where they where can they find you at? Um, so there's a couple of places. Uh, and Cody, by the way, I would love to come back for another interview. I think that what you're doing here and having experienced this and listened to a few of your episodes, the level of transparency with which you approach this work and candor with which you approach your interviews makes you stand out in a lot of the people who are doing these types of interviews. So I'd love to come back for a second round. And then if anybody would like to connect with me, you can go to MomentumPodcast.com. That's a page on my website that has all of our podcast episodes, or you can just search Momentum for the Entrepreneurial Personality Type anywhere that podcasts are played. And if you're an entrepreneur that wants help with your business in a community and coaching environment where we coach holistically, but also coach hardcore process structure and routine that grows empires, you can go to simpleoperations.com. And our company does exactly that. We help entrepreneurs simplify their operations so that the change they want to see in the world actually becomes a reality without them having to do it all themselves. Perfect. And thank you so much for your kind words. I, I truly appreciate that. And for anybody listening to this show, just look in the show notes and I'll have those links to be able to find Alex easier so you can go and work with them, listen to his podcast or just find out more information. Uh, so my very last question for you today is, um, and it comes from one of my superheroes, Peter Diamandis, which he talks about uh, your massive transformative purpose, the, the impact you want to, uh, the dent you want to make in the universe is how he describes it. So um, what is your massive transformative purpose? What is it that uh, you want to leave as your legacy from every single person that meets you, that works with you, that uh, gains wisdom from you? What is that legacy that you want to leave? Cody, I feel like entrepreneurs are that tiny percentage of the population that gets up every morning, travels into the future, creates a new reality, then comes back to the present and demands it becomes real. And that's not easy. It's one of the most challenging and frustrating and anxiety provoking and um, difficult things that you can choose to do with your life, but it's also the most transformational. And when I look at the world around us, it was created by entrepreneurs. Everything that we're using today, the devices we're communicating through, the site that we're, we're live streaming to, everything around us was created by someone just like us. But I think about all the people just like us who are stuck and frustrated and confused and don't understand themselves. 
and judging themselves for being less than and not seeing just how incredible they are. And I get up every morning and I want to help entrepreneurs understand themselves better, understand just how vital they are to the world today and help them create the new reality that they have seen in their mind and is so perfect, but needs to be transformed into our world because Let's get real. The world needs entrepreneurs more than it ever has. And my mission is to help every one of them do more, be more, and understand that there is absolutely nothing wrong with them and they are not alone. I love that. I love that. And it's true. I think that entrepreneurs are the blood flow of our economy. They're the ones that are are changing things, you know, even from the the emergence of psychedelics, it was people doing research and understanding there's a lot more to this than what we were told. Let's let's really get this information out there and really fighting the laws themselves to get it changed in order for us to be able to level up. So I love that. I think that's an absolutely beautiful vision. And I I truly enjoyed this conversation. I really can't wait to to book you again and, and learn even more from you and, and hopefully have a longer conversation. But thank you so much, Alex, for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom. I know my audience is going to absolutely love this episode. And there's just so many little tidbits in here. Of, of wisdom from you. So I truly appreciate you coming on and being vulnerable and, and really sharing your wisdom with us. It's my pleasure, Cody. Richard, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate thank it. Thank you, Alex. Look forward to round two. <laughs> us too. Have a great day. You too. See ya.